0: Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Yu Ron. I'm the CEO of the Visual Storytelling Institute. Uh, We are a think tank based here in uh, sunny Miami, Florida. And we're all about bringing the gospel of visual storytelling from the world of art uh, into marketing. So part of the work we do is really helping uh, brands uh, bring to life their brands. Uh, through the power of visual storytelling we do it through consulting training and thought leadership like this uh, podcast you're in right now so one of the interesting topics that I actually followed uh, in the past uh, year was really how you know the communication noise is really driving brands uh, into a very difficult spot you know unlike you know 20 years ago we have a consumers, content creators on the same footing as brands in terms of access to communication channels. And that creates a lot of challenges to break through the clutter. So one of the things that uh, I've noticed is how brands use brand purpose to really stand out from the rest uh, and really bring a deeper meaning to new generation of audiences are much more sophisticated than we used to uh, know from the past. So to help me tackle this uh, exciting topic, which is really, we're going to touch today on one example of uh, how brand purposes come to life through sponsored films. So to help me kind of unpack this exciting topic, I'm super excited to have uh, Sarah Colamarino and she is, uh, uh, she's coming out of a 30-year career at Johnson & Johnson, you know, holding a variety of roles in marketing communications, and actually her last uh, role was a vice president corporate brand equity and partnerships. And right there, she covered some award-winning programs that we're going to touch on today. And as of recent, she started her own consulting business, SC Blueprint. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank
1: you. I'm really happy to be here and very excited about the topic.
0: No, I think it's, it's something that if you don't get you know, the, the purpose, they don't have any business around it. You gotta have deeper meaning that's really anchored in meaning. So before we go deeper into this, uh, maybe share with us a little bit about your backstory. You know, if you remember your early days, what was your magic moment that pushed you into career in marketing communication?
1: You know, it really was the recognition of the power of purpose. It's interesting when you leave a long time career, you have a moment to reflect and think about it. And I realized that the power of purpose, while I didn't call it that throughout my career, was very much how I was able to really help organizations grow. And and that purpose work grew internally. And it aligned organizations and it ignited and motivated organizations, mm-hmm. but it gave the platform that allowed many companies to go out into the marketplace. And I've worked at small J&J companies all the way up to the corporate level and instituted the power of purpose at small companies as well as the big Large $85 billion corporation. So yeah. I think I have a pretty good handle on the topic, and it was magic for me. And frankly, it gave me throughout my career really deep meaning to the work that I did. And I was one of those people who was fortunate to work at a wonderful corporation and love every moment of it.
0: No, that's amazing. Yeah. It's funny how you describe brand purpose. You know, in my context, I always call it brand narrative. <laughs> I'm wondering if you find that aspect in your work as well, because to me, like the narrative is like, you know, the emotional load of why, you know, why the brand exists and what do you believe in kind of setting the emotions with your external and internal audiences.
1: Yeah. So I really believe in, and from my experience, the best purpose was a co-created purpose across the organization. It involved the C-suite as well as people down in the organization that would lead from the future. Right. And from there. You could build a narrative that was engaging Mm -hmm. and that brought people in. And interesting, what I learned is the power of those of us who grew up in the world of advertising. Right. Right. That advertising wasn't just external. That emotional connection, that powerful creative was as important internally as it was externally. So I like to take narrative up a notch. Right? I, I don't think it's a written document. I think it's a very visual do- a visual piece. I think yep. the film has a unique role. Right. I think it's engaging. It's motivating. It's taking what we all know to be the power of advertising, but applying it in a very authentic way internally.
0: Got it. So for you know audi- my audience that are comprised of marketers, entrepreneurs that are really want to get to the crux of the matter. You know, if you need to distill. Your definition for brand purpose, what would it be?
1: I think that you really need to have a brand purpose that an organization can buy into and believes in. And then from there, you take it to the marketplace in all the tactical ways that we know work. But you think about the tactical components, not just being about you, the company, but being about the world around you.
0: Right. So it's gotta be stay at a very high purpose. It's not about you making money, it's about changing the environment, helping community. It needs to be a very high level. I mean, sometimes they call it ESG, which is kind of the (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think the magic today for marketers mm-hmm. is to understand that you have to go beyond features and benefits, right. and that emotional connection is going to be created by the impact that you can have your brand have on society. And in many ways, I don't think many people have realized this, but I think there's a very unique linkage between ESG and brand purpose and marketing, and that's that ESG is today viewed as a financial mechanism. Trick, tracking what you're doing, by all means, very important. Right. But you can pull that work into your brand marketing, and you can have a very differentiated position because of what your company is doing in ESG. Or you can promote more ESG work because you know it's a unique competitive advantage.
0: Right. And, and I would just say, you know, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And for those of you who are just kind of wondering, cool. Cool. Another question I typically ask my guest is since I'm wearing the visual storytelling hat, you know, since you've been involved in so many visual storytelling programs at J&J, you know, how do you define visual storytelling from your experience?
1: I think it is the ability to take what happens every day in the company mm-hmm. and in the world and connect the two in a way that's very emotional and emotionally appealing. I think sometimes in this world of so much content, we all go down to original content, user-generated content, huge roles for that, no doubt, huge roles. But I think we have to remember as brand marketers that there is still a very big role for that emotional content that sets the stage for perhaps the rest to follow on.
0: I see. All right. No, that, that makes sense. And and maybe to help uh, even further, you know, marketers are notorious in coming up with uh, new terms <laughs> every every time. So for people who are really quite confused, you know, because we hear uh, maybe you can, can help uh, make the distinctions between sponsored film, product placement, branded content, branded entertainment. <laughs>
1: And it is all complicated, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I think I think it all starts with, yeah, terms are confusing, but what are you, what's your butchery objective? Right? right? And if you know what your real objective is, then you can determine what the best approach is, mm. right? For example, I look at branded entertainment as something that we did with the film 5B, and okay. we'll have a chance to show a little clip from that. But that was a piece of inf- a piece of film that really helped us to highlight the role of frontline healthcare workers mm-hmm. during the HIV, HIV pandemic in the late 80s, early 90s. Ironically, that set the stage for what was to happen during the COVID pandemic for frontline healthcare workers. But it was branded entertainment because we were very clearly identified, but we didn't try to produce it ourselves. We used Hollywood talent to do it. So to we brought it. together mm. a very different combination. A co-creation model, not always easy because you have to relinquish control, but you also have to know where you're strategically heading. And in that co-creation model, I think you really can do top-notch branded entertainment. Now, that to me is different than a brand sponsorship of a piece of, of original content for example we for many years worked with henry louis Gates who many may know mm-hmm. and as a leader in african american history in the united states yes. we sponsored his films and his work that to me was a sponsorship that was not branded entertainment we were he did it we were clearly identified as the sponsor so we basically so just funded it we exactly. were not involved in the creation I see. Exactly, exactly. I see. Then another model that we used, which was a very unique model, was work that we did with a film called Unseen Enemy. And it was done in two, or 2017. Again, a little frightening when I look back, it actually predicted the COVID mm-hmm. pandemic. But the way we worked on that one is a little different. That was one where the film was so scientifically based and the producer director wanted to be sure that she had integrity. Yep. She produced the content. We became an outreach partner. Oh. Right I so I don't know what you would call that in the terms but basically we took the film, we sponsored CNN airing and we had a very nice media package with CNN for both digital and on air content and incidentally mm-hmm. was able to rewind that at the beginning of the pandemic I in see. 2020. But more importantly, we really made it stakeholder-specific. So we took it out to stakeholders around the world. Some of them were healthcare professionals. Some of them were policymakers. And as a matter of fact, it was shown at the G20 in Germany in 2017. And as Mm -hmm. part of that film, the G20 actually had recommendations on pandemic preparedness. So I don't know what you would call that. I call that thought leadership right? And that's really setting the stage for the future. So again, what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. And what's the best way to get there? And then the terms fall out from there.
0: Right, that makes sense. No, I think, yeah, I mean, to me, you actually touch, I mean, all these distinctions really break across the lines of either you are involved in creation, or you just say funding it. And then there is the container nature. Is it a film? Is it a video game? Is it a TV show, which stands still in the entertainment space? Uh, but then, you know, any other material like books, even, uh, you know, articles that could fall into branded content, definitely. So I think the entertainment is really defining just the containers that are classically known
1: exactly.
0: as entertainment uh, filmed products. Great.
1: And again, what you want to
0: achieve, right? Exactly. Or
1: what is your ultimate goal for doing this
0: work? Right, right. L- let's go back a little bit because uh, I'm still uh, want to anchor our discussion around brand purpose. So if you th- go back to your uh, long career at J&J and the brand purpose uh, methodologies and processes that you put in place, can you talk just uh, at a high level, You know, what is the process Looks like you know how do you start creating a brand purpose and i 'm going to put on the the slide that you shared with me just to kind of people see uh, what uh, brand purpose you came up with as you speak right, yeah.
1: right. and this was the Johnson and Johnson brand purpose yep. so I think that there's a couple of fundamental things. I think that as marketers we have to understand that our role is a little bit broader in creation of a purpose. It really becomes a strategic role, a uh, role where we really accept as an integrator across a large enterprise or a small enterprise. Right. But once you, uh, you accept that role, you then start to realize that the crafting, the co-creation of a brand purpose is the key, and that that's not done by an agency bringing it into an organization. I think, again, we all tend to to use a model of we work with what we know. But the real opportunity here is to build that with the people of the organization and the C-suite and bring everybody together in a unified way. Now, once you do that, I've learned that was only the easy part of the job. Right, that was that was in many ways the simpler part. At when when we did the J and J brand purpose, we I brought see. 35 leaders across the organization together, worked with our EC. That was easy. The harder part was engaging the rest of the 130,000 employees across the organization. And, and, and just quick question: co-create.
0: The, when sure. you say co-creation, can can you? kind of unpack this is it like workshops with employees what did you do research surveys yeah
1: so yep nope so we did a lot of ways and I've done this by the way big and small companies yep. first of all you have to know perceptions mm-hmm. of your brand by your own people by right. the marketplace you have to marry those with what's happening in society so we did in all cases kind of a pullback to look at the world around us right and look at how we were perceived Then there were workshops. That's exactly how we did them. Some were one day, some were two days, some were Mm -hmm. three days. But we really unpacked what we knew about ourselves and what we wanted to be through a series of exercises. Oh, I see. And those series of exercises brought forward what the company, the best of the company on its best day. Mm -hmm. And from all those pieces, we could collaboratively construct this brand purpose.
0: I see. Would you say that, and again, I, I'm assuming that as part of this co-creation uh, discovery process, you really wanted to extract what is the current perceptions your employees have about J&J, what is the industry or the competition looks like about exactly. this perception, and, and then you kind of compared it to what your customer is actually thinking about J&J. So it's exactly. Kind of Exactly. It's exactly a, like three bubbles that you need to kind of uh, marry together.
1: <laughs> and I think what we found, and it was really, it, particularly when we did the j purpose, we found that there were very much many similarities among all mm. of our different stakeholder
0: groups. Right.
1: And that for J&J, it was clear it had been a very decentralized company. And what our employees wanted and what our customers wanted was us to come together around a more common mission that brought the company's pieces Mm -hmm. more holistically together.
0: Right. I see. And as you discover these new opportunities, maybe untapped uh, themes that your competition is not covering, I guess that's where you wanted to go back and validate it with your internal uh, workforce, uh, customers, just to make sure, right?
1: That's exactly right. And you'll see here why Mm -hmm. we have heart, science, and ingenuity. Mm -hmm. We believe that was our differentiator. We were a beloved consumer brand. People knew us as a consumer brand. But we coupled with that amazing science and amazing business processes and operations that were introduced that were new, we knew that was our distinction. I see. But we also knew that there was a more fundamental reason why we brought those three together. And that was to make change the trajectory of health, right? We really believed that in our unique combination, we could make health better for people around the world. And for anyone who's worked in healthcare, there is nothing more motivating to a workforce in healthcare to believe that they could do something bigger than just a simple product that they were working on, you know, whether it be a consumer product or even a pharmaceutical product.
0: No, absolutely. And just to kind of uh, emphasize uh, what you said about uh, science and ingenuity as uh, differentiators, as part of this discovery, you want to make sure that that sweet spot that you cover from your investigation on customer competition, your employees, is not something that your whole competitor is already doing. So you still, right. you still want to make sure that uh, that sweet spot you want to focus on for your brand purpose needs to be super unique and and it you... was
1: yeah. yeah, it was the heart piece actually yeah. that brought the uniqueness to J and J. Because if you if you rest in science, right, right? You rest with many other pharmaceutical brands. Well, one might argue that they were not born from a consumer brand. Mm-hmm. So they didn't understand the heart right. of gathering, right? And that was why, in many ways, that heart piece was first for a really important reason. We knew that that was our historical competitive advantage. And we needed to marry that with both science and ingenuity.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, this is great. Really love this statement, how it came about. And and do you find also as part of the preparation of this, uh, you said it's (laughs) 18-month-long process to develop this uh, is there any also thoughts about uh, in your mind? Because another uh, notion in the marketplace around burn purpose is that it always carries a sense of uh, you know two polar values from x to from a positive to negative that you bring to the marketplace. So in your case, obviously it's the the positive is the more healthy world. So have you thought about that polarity in values that when you constructed this statement?
1: Yeah, and I'm going to help set the stage for the context of this statement. The perception of Johnson & Johnson, and this was done back in 2016, early 2017, was very much a company that was a, a baby company and a family health company. Right. For many reasons, right? The science and ingenuity were never brought forward. And frankly, it served the company well for many years. But we could no longer live like that. It was, it was disingenuous. Our business was really a science-based business. And we needed to marry them. So this was in many ways a brand transformation. Oh. And while it was brand purpose, it led to a brand transformation. Got it. And let me talk a little bit about the process that we used. I mentioned that you co-created, but the co-creation didn't stop with the workshop. Hmm. What we recognized was that leaders had to feel great about this and this is where visual storytelling and purpose come together. So one of the most impactful things that we did is we took this purpose, we produced a powerful piece that brought it to life very visual very emotionally Mm -hmm. engaging the concept of advertising for your internal audience. And we brought it forward to 1300 leaders around the country around the world in um, what was a presentation followed by independent workshops. And we garnered all kinds of feedback. Purpose never really changed, but the other piece that we worked hard on during the time period was building the strategic framework of the company. What did we stand for? What were we trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And that's where we got a lot of good impact. So we had a purpose statement and a business strategy that originated from the piece. And it was that unique combination that helped us to bring things forward. And then what we did, and this is why it took the 18 months, we worked with each major part of the company, business units, global functions, and worked with them to say, how were they gonna construct their promise to deliver on this purpose? And those were a series of workshops held around the world. So at the end of the day, you ended up with a purpose and promises that we're each going to achieve it. So you achieve true alignment to it.
0: Well, that's brilliant, yeah. I mean, I bet it's just a global effort to kind of uh, connect all the dots and get commitment from all the leaders in the regional markets to commit to this statement and also express, Mm -hmm. you know, how they're gonna bring it to life in their strategies. That's, I'm sure it's uh, incredible. (laughs) Well,
1: it was, it was a big achievement. And then what we saw started to happen. It's exactly what you want. Once they were clear on their promises, they then began to create powerful visual storytelling that matched the bigger J&J, but applied to their specific business area. So we ended up with pieces that were used both externally and internally to speak to Johnson & Johnson tied to a purpose, but if a pharmaceutical person was using it, they brought forward their promise in the context of the bigger purpose. And we ended up with, with a wonderful base of storytelling opportunities that then could be pulled through in multiple ways, which is why, by the way, the branded content had the impact that it did. Because then it gave something very tangible that our business units could take out to their customers to show that what we were doing to deliver on our science, our ingenuity, and our heart.
0: And that's what I keep saying also for my clients and students is that, you know, if you have a brand, a powerful brand purpose, or in my context, I call it brand narrative, then the stories are just serving as proof point that actually validate your narrative and bring it to life. And that's exactly what you were describing. So that's amazing. That's
1: exactly what happened. Now, there was also another challenge that we tackled um, in 2019. While we were doing the kind of alignment that we were doing, we Mm -hmm. never made a broad statement to the marketplace about this is who we are. So here's where the importance of a creative framework coming out of your brand purpose comes in place. We created a very powerful brand purpose or, or creative platform, excuse me. And that was all about demonstrating how we were there for people every step of their healthcare journey. Yeah. And we produced very powerful creative that for the first time put the company together. And again, then your storytelling fell out of that because you could show examples in farm. you could show examples. And we got to the point where we were then able to do much more digitally targeted work
0: mm. to certain
1: groups, certain segments, showing how to cancer, we were making an impact,
0: Right, showing right. how to
1: HIV, we were making an impact. And I can speak to HIV more if you'd like. Yeah, so he began to see it all come together.
0: Exactly. So uh, now that we got uh, a very <laughs> deep look under the hood for brand purpose, let's switch gears now and talk about uh, the stories that bring it to life. And I can't, you know, choose another perfect example than uh, this award-winning sponsored film Five uh, B that you uh, mm-hmm. were leading uh, J and J and. Can you give me just a general uh, background about this film and what was the process behind it, uh, the business goals that you came out So
1: 5B was perfectly timed because as we brought the purpose forward, as we brought the work forward in a broader statement, we wanted some proof points, right? And Mm -hmm. 5B became one of these proof points. The history of 5B was, first of all, strategically based. It was meant to show another aspect of J&J that people wouldn't traditionally know us at. And we had a 20-year history of work in HIV on treatments and a vaccine in development. So it was just perfectly aligned it also did something else. It allowed us to combine that heart of the consumer business yes. with all the research that was going on around the pharmaceutical world and HIV. So it was a unique combination. So 5B was a really unique opportunity. I will be honest, there were times that I held my breath because I was going to places that I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, <laughs> right? And there were some great lessons learned along, along the way, but we did a very different model where again back to the word co-creation, we had a very strong guiding brief mm-hmm. and that brief was briefed out in combination with CAA to a number of Hollywood producers and we took in multiple components and multiple uh, propo- multiple uh, feedback on our requests for proposals yep. and had very very several uh, script options. And what we began to see was there was a story that emerged among the others, and it was 5B. It was actually Ward 5B at San Francisco General Hospital, Mm. and it highlighted the nurses that had played such a critical role in the treatment of HIV patients in the late 80s and early 90s. And strategically, it was a perfect fit. We wanted to talk about our work in HIV and we also were just traditionally a long term heritage in supporting nurses and advocating for nurses so the combo was perfect. I see. So we went ahead and produced the piece, had a few complications along the way, <laughs> fortuitously. It came out, uh, you know, following on to the work that we were doing uh, with the broader expression to the marketplace. And we had a very interesting model. We funded up front, but we sold the film for distribution. And the film was bought and distributed by Riot Media. So the great news there is we both had skin in the game. Frankly, we didn't bear the whole cost. And we had a really powerful piece of content for a really nominal fee.
0: Yeah. And I think so, you know, it's really interesting, you know, because when we go back to the old days of product placement, you just get, you know, this kind of small space to integrate your, your product, but that's it in what you've done. You actually created your responsible from day one to the creation, to the whole concept of the film. And you actually use the a very well-known entertainment container, which is the documentary film. And and actually yeah. in, you actually marketed, distribute it in the, traditional channels of you know showing up in festivals and then getting bought by a riot studio so you actually treated it as if you are a production studio in essence
1: that's right that's exactly what we did and we learned some lessons along the way by the way right so we were excited for the movie premiere well Mm -hmm. it was fine but honestly the amount of attention that it got in theaters wasn't what we had hoped for. But we found something new. We found that this was exactly the right conduit into stakeholder marketing. I see. And that what we were able to do was target out stakeholders for this film and use it as a way to garner bringing these groups together, and frankly, building that brand love and that brand authenticity that every brand wants to have. And very specifically, we worked with the HIV community and LGBTQ communities, and we were at festivals. We were at HIV conferences. We were around the world in many places. We were in policy arenas. So all of a sudden, you had this company with these stakeholders that cared about a topic you brought to life very much indebted to you. And it built and built and built. The only thing that stopped its progress was the pandemic when a lot of things stopped, but it was a piece that lives on. It is now part of nursing school curriculum. So every nurse in the United States, and now we're working globally, will see this film as part of their training and be inspired by, by heroes.
0: Now, this is fantastic. I want to play uh, the clip that uh, you shared with me and I think this uh, actually will help people uh, see a little bit about, uh, you know, what you meant by this uh, incredible achievement. They wanted to quarantine a sort of them. Yeah, I'd seen the patients being marginalized yes. and I just felt it infuriating like them. You're probably going to get AIDS and you're probably going to die. I'm more pissed off and angry than I am scared. We have to do something. But San Francisco General, the staff is opening up a special wing to treat AIDS victims. It was built by the nurses there. We were gay, we were straight, we were young, we were old. We decided if we can't save these folks, we're going to touch them. This was a tangible thing we could do wash them, put moisturizer on them. So much in life is not what you say or what you do, it's how you make people feel. You don't have to have a suit every time you're around a native person. You don't have to burn their bed because they died. It brought change for how hospitals work. The Nurses were the real healers. They stood up when nobody else would. And they were willing to take their place. Johnson & Johnson is deeply
1: committed to the treatment and prevention of HIV. 5B was proudly commissioned by Johnson & Johnson as part of the company's long-standing commitment to the support of nurses and other health professionals at the front lines of care.
0: Yep. Excellent. I mean, this is amazing, you know, film and, you know, what... I got from it, I get, there was this quote, which he says, uh, you know, people don't care about what you say or do, it's really how you make people feel, think this is so powerful, you know, the role of emotions, and because that's what's, if you think back, you know, what are the most uh, memorable things, typically, there is a emotional hashtag attached to them, that's why you remember them.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly, and why It's so important for brands to stand something for more than something, right? Like beyond themselves. I mean, you could have talked about your HIV treatments, which, by the way, were really revolutionary treatments. Right. But that wasn't where you created the connection. It was exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. So true. And, you also touched on the fact that uh, unlike uh, traditional advertising, that you basically you buying media in this case, the film co- has its costs, you know, to produce, but you didn't have to buy media, right, uh, which is uh, unusual and you got pretty much free publicity after, after the film was released
1: we did and and you know again i'll i'll say the lesson learned is if you take a piece like this and you try to do the traditional mass market you'll have some success yep. but the real success was the targeted stakeholder marketing
0: right right and so, that's
1: where you really establish the relationship with the brand
0: i see so when you actually Post an, an, Did the post analysis of this uh, campaign run 5B, what were the KPIs you were tracking?
1: So it was interesting. We had a couple of different ones. We looked at 5B in relation to multiple other projects that we were doing. And we have mm-hmm. a proprietary, Jane Day has a proprietary system that's able to measure its impact on reputation mm-hmm. and, and brand equity. And we saw 5B, even though it was new, and relatively, I would say, small as compared to something like the Campaign for Nursing's Future, which we've done for 20 years, right. you saw it resonate with your stakeholders. Then what we really saw powerful is we delved down into stakeholder marketing, and we were able to see pre and post perceptions of the brand. Oh, I see. And that's what I've learned over time. I, I would caution everybody. I don't think I did a good enough job of this all along, but your traditional KPIs, you will show some impact with this type of work, but when you are very crystal clear on your targeting strategy and you do pre and post that's, and you measure brand attributes, that's where you see your movement.
0: I see. So, so if, if we need to summarize. You you can you basically start this uh, film with the goal of driving brand awareness around your uh, work in this particular uh, field, and Correct. and then as you started the analysis, you basically uh, compared the before and after along a variety of brand attributes to see how perceptions have changed. Have you have you done any social listening also as part of this effort to see what people are yeah. talking about? Yeah.
1: Yeah, we did a lot of social listening. I'm glad you asked me that question. And Mm -hmm. it was amazing to us how much people became advocates for the film, right? right? It was, you know, if you look at a lot of trust barometers, people believe people most like themselves. Mm -hmm. And what was really fascinating were the amount of nurses talking about the film to other nurses. Now, we helped that along in some of the work that we were doing because we had very strong reach into the nursing community. But the the ability for nurses to talk to nurses, Mm. the other piece we saw in the HIV community too, and in the LGBTQ, it gave these communities and the people who were engaged in these communities things to talk about with their peers that they felt very positive and warm about.
0: So it
1: was a hidden benefit and the social listening helped us get there. We should have guessed that by the way,
0: Yeah, we should have understood
1: that. But when you do something so new, and that's another thing I've learned is that sometimes you go into it and you have a perception and you think you have a strategy, but the real truth is it never comes through exactly as planned and you have to be agile and And listening and willing to move every step of the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, Based on your experience of uh, working uh, on brand purpose uh, across a variety of uh, programs, both for internal and external purposes, what do you see are the most common misconceptions uh, brands have about brand purpose these days?
1: I think a couple of them. I think one is that it can be created in a vacuum, right? And have real authenticity, cannot happen, right? Yeah, Secondly, it's a marketing platform. Cannot be the case. It's got to be a platform that is owned by the people of the company. But thirdly, that it is something that just can be created and and nourished every once in a while. And the truth is, it has to be lived every day.
0: I see. And and who is uh, the typical uh, function in an organization that uh, drives the brand purpose? Is it uh, a subdivision within marketing? Is it corporate development?
1: See, I think it can depend on the organization. And I think that one thing you have to be sensitive to when you do this work, you have to know your organization, right? Your adeptness to understand how to move things through your organization Mm -hmm. is probably the most important piece of owning brand purpose. I think you can be a catalyst as a marketer, but you can't do it by yourself. Brand purpose is a huge competitive advantage in today's war for talent. You only achieve that by your partnership with your HR community, right? It can be a huge driver and a huge way to elevate your ESG work, but you can only do that in partnership with your sustainability CSR and now even legal teams. Right. It can be a huge driver for individual business lines, but you can only achieve that by working with individual business leaders. So it's, again, know your organization. Do I believe marketing has the role to drive this? I really do. Yep. But you have to think much more like a general manager if you are to accomplish the goal.
0: Well said. Yeah, it's all about the integrated perspectives that you need to bring into this uh, process you cannot do it within the confines of the marketing department <laughs> exactly
1: you won't be successful you'll get a yeah. great copy out there and you might get a good piece of digital storytelling out there and visual storytelling right but it'll end there
0: right won't be validated by the other perspectives yeah so now we've talked about you know band purpose we talked about uh, one example of a uh, a great story, 5B, that uh, <clears throat> brought it to life uh, tremendously. One of the things that I'm sure <clears throat> on the mind of uh, many people right now, you know, since we're still in the pandemic, can you talk a about your, your experience uh, at j in terms of visual storytelling strategy, how it has changed uh, during uh, the pandemic, uh, pre-vaccine and post-vaccine?
1: Yeah, I think that... Um like anything for a while, the vaccine was absolutely what everyone focused on and cared on. And we did a lot of visual storytelling (laughs) Mm -hmm. and a lot of our original episodes coming out of our own content studios. But I think what we started to realize was that the world that pandemic fatigue set in Right. Yeah. And and if you're working in medicine, cancer didn't stop happening. Right. You know, right. hypertension didn't stop happening. Your OTCs were more important than ever. So I think as we began to look at the the end of the pandemic and I'm going to call it the endemic world, because I think we'll eventually get there where it's with us all the time, but it yep. doesn't dominate yep. us. Right. Right we started to recognize that it was back to where we were a few years ago that this broader base Mm -hmm. of all that we do to make people healthy had to still be the focus. So I think in answering your question, the lesson learned was your strategy may have shifted for a bit of time, but you still have to be responsive to people who need to live healthy lives all the time and one of the things that we did during the pandemic which was really almost the final chapter of brand mm-hmm. purpose j&j operated as very separate companies with separate brand names and separate mm-hmm. patient and customer experiences right and we used <laughs> the pandemic time to allow all that had to happen on the vaccine to happen but also to build out what we call a master brand framework mm-hmm. and as i left Different business units are looking at how they will both adapt the J&J name, so we'll have more J&J in the marketplace, right? (laughs) and begin to unify customer experiences so that the purpose was not only brought out by the people at the corporate level. When it was brought out by the individual business units, it would begin to be branded Johnson & Johnson with similar experiences. I see. That's interesting. And that was a really big culture change. That's about knowing your organization. mm. That couldn't have been done in the beginning. The culture change was too big. It had to wait till it's right time.
0: Yeah. And and actually, I was uh, doing a series of webinars uh, during the first wave uh, of the pandemic back in uh, March 2020. It was all about... uh, Visual storytelling in times of COVID. And I, I did a survey or kind of review of how brands communicate during this time. So I'm kind of wondering, because at that time, you know, when we're thinking about the first wave, March 2020, most brands didn't know quite how to empathize with the audience. It was novelty. And as it was a novelty. And then, you know, as time passes, Then it was really more about, as you said, pandemic fatigue. So there's, again, another change in strategy. So can you talk about those two, you know, poles of (laughs) consumer behavior? I I do
1: think that, and I I think this is true, it was easier for a healthcare company that was dedicated to global health issues to be more empathetic to understand how to operate in this environment Mm -hmm. in in Mm. an easier way. That's why I referred to the work in HIV. HIV was a a pandemic too in its time. So by understanding all those dynamics, I think it became much easier for a company like Johnson & Johnson to adopt to Mm. the pandemic. I think the lesson learned was that you couldn't stay in that pandemic mode forever. Yeah. That we yeah. needed to evolve back to going through the pandemic fatigue and talking and helping people understand health was bigger than just COVID. Yeah. And then a lot of the issues, and again, our business units working by bare purpose began to adopt to this. People weren't doing routine medical procedures, right? So there were campaigns to help people get routine medical procedures done. Yeah, There was the recognition that our doctors were helping care professionals, not all of them were working on the front lines. Mm. There were those that were running office-based practices that weren't getting patients in. Guess what? They were small business owners, right? What did that mean for their financial viability and how did we help address those? So I think you could use brand purpose understanding what people were going through during the pandemic, but also understanding the hidden issues and recognizing that you had to go, you had to overcome pandemic fatigue and that healthcare issues remained, even though everybody was worried about COVID.
0: I see. So the brand purpose that you actually created in the course of 18 months was actually still relevant during the first wave of the pandemic. And then, you know, when you reached uh, post-vaccine and people, when the message needs to adapt it to how to live with the, you know, the virus, it's also made sense there because, again, you're all about making you know the world healthier and you focusing on science, focusing on ingenuity, all these pillars still exactly. remain the same. Yeah. Got it.
1: Exactly. It was funny as I look at what Brand Purpose did, mm-hmm. it prepared the organization to make us ready to make play a major role in the mm. pandemic. And then it also allowed us to understand how to evolve beyond that role. So again, it's back to purposes strategic. It's not an advertising campaign. It's not right. a marketing campaign. It's a long it's term a strategic basis. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And speaking about you know your lesson from that period uh, during the pandemic, a lot of brands uh, were not prepared. Pretty much didn't have any you know, playbook for crisis. <laughs> so have you kind of felt that, did you feel like that you had to optimize, you kind of uh, update your playbooks for how to deal pre, during, post-crisis?
1: Yeah, I think we did. And I think what you learned though, and, and I really do believe this to be the case, I think it's important that you realize mm-hmm. crisis has a boundary. Right. And that you operate like that for a given period of time, Mm -hmm. but that you remain very sensitive to the world around you, understanding where the world is and understanding where the perception of your brand is. And again, that agility and flexibility continue to be part of your strategy. You can't stay in crisis forever.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's well said. Great. So Sarah, this is an amazing <laughs> conversation. You shared so much uh, great insights. I want to finish up, uh, if you can uh, summarize You know your top three tips uh, for marketers who are looking to start their own uh, brand purpose program, and maybe around sports film or around other entertainment uh, container, what would you say would they so be? So
1: I would say my number one tip is, make it more than just a marketing focus,
0: right? If you
1: cannot move an entire organization, which is challenging, find a key partner in another functional area. I'd suggest today marketing and HR have a huge huge combination that can be really powerful as we are entering the great resignation and the war for talent. So that would be my number one tip for you. Don't go it alone. My second tip would be, look at what is authentic to you. Don't try to be something that you're not. And when it is authentic and when it's built together, then you can get into executions that make sense. For some companies, it will be sponsored films. Mm -hmm. For others, it might be digital engagements. For It might be new customer experiences. But let what you know about your brand and what you know about your market be your guide and take some risks, and don't be afraid to take the risks, and don't be afraid to learn along the way, be agile, and adjust.
0: Brilliant. No, this is solid gold advice, you know, especially (laughs) because a lot of people really don't know how to navigate this uh, new world where, you know, audiences are really expecting much deeper, you know, especially if you're looking at millennials, Gen Zs. It's not yesterday's Audiences are looking for much deeper meanings and things that could sustain them, you know, to believe in the brand in long term, just not uh, fulfilling, you know, immediate That's pain right. point.
1: That's right. That's right. It is a long term relationship. Yeah, And I think you have to build those relationships in very targeted ways, not you need a mass market perception of who you are, but you need to go to advocacy and intimacy on a stakeholder by stakeholder basis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So before we go, if our audience have any questions for you, how can they reach out?
1: So I'd encourage them to reach out to me via LinkedIn. I think they can see that I'm active on LinkedIn, and yeah. reaching out to me is for right now probably the best way. And I I would love to engage, questions, um, provide counsel, give input, and I'm hoping to hear from many of them.
0: Awesome! Thank you so much, Sarah. This is I've learned a ton you know, from you today. uh, It's incredible uh, experience you're bringing in the brand purpose and the visual storytelling space. And all of you watching or listening, hope to see you uh, next time. So in the meantime, keep those uh, purpose-driven stories coming. See you next time. Thank you. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.